Welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about us, please visit our website, gracelife.com.au. All right, we're ready to get into it this morning. Can we pray? Father, we're so grateful to you for your presence with us by your Holy Spirit. And we ask, teach us of the beauty of Jesus and all that he's done for us. We thank you. Our hearts are open and they're ready. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, wonderful. Okay, let's pull our Bibles open to Galatians chapter 1. We haven't yet done that. And if you were not message on, I understand it's on our uh, website, it's on Facebook, it's on YouTube. And we spent last Sunday looking at the first half of chapter 1. Paul planted a, a group of churches in a region called Galatia. There were four churches that he planted there on his first ministry expedition, Iconium, Lystra, and Derba. There were four churches there, and when he went back, he left that region. There were a group of people that came in after him and were trying to disciple people differently, trying to teach them differently to how Paul had planted the message that he was preaching. Paul, we understand, came and brought a very stinging rebuke to these Christians, people that he loved, that he planted the church with. He rebuked them and he said, how could you possibly veer away from the very message that you have been saved by? When he plants the church, he preaches a message called the gospel, the gospel being the good news, very simply, it's just Jesus, pure and simple. Jesus saves. It's not a set of rules or regulations that you must adhere to. Paul preached Christ crucified. In fact, the gospel in its simplest form is Christ has done it. It's done. It's finished. When Jesus was on the cross, amongst his last words were, it is almost finished. It's finished. It's done. It's accomplished is a great interpretation. When Jesus hung on a tree, he said, it is accomplished, complete. And when he said it was accomplished, he meant it. So Paul comes in, the disciples come in, and the message that we now preach is that when Jesus said it, when he did it, he meant it. It settles it. So I believe it. It is not just about A gospel that we need to add to. It's not a prosperity gospel. It's just the gospel. It's not the social justice gospel. It's not the word of faith gospel. It's just the gospel. We need to add nothing more to what is already perfect. The gospel is perfect, pure and simple. Don't complicate it. Because to add anything to the gospel is to reduce its power. Paul says in Romans that it is the gospel that saves us. It is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel, this message that God would send his son 
to die on a cross for us. In verse 1 and in verse 4, I understand of Galatians, he alludes to both the crucifixion and the resurrection. That's what the gospel is. Jesus died, he was crucified, and he rose again. Believe in that. We are set apart by believing in that, not by doing anything, not by adding anything. And after Paul comes to churches, he preaches the gospel, this incredible message of grace, that you have been saved from your sin, from your self-righteousness. You've been saved from that by believing. Live in that. The gospel is not just a ticket into salvation, into eternal life, excuse me, though you do get a ticket into eternal life. It's more than that. The gospel is a message that transforms you from the inside out. So we are saved by behaving. But the belief certainly informs the behavior. But Paul doesn't touch on how to behave except for maybe the last two chapters of this letter in Galatians. He spends the bulk of this letter trying to reinforce the message, the beautiful message of the cross, that it is finished, that it is accomplished for you and for me. Perhaps today's day and age to not veer away from the reality, from the truth that it's already been done. You cannot try to behave in a better way to cause God to love you any more than what he already does. This is beautiful. In Jesus now, we are as loved as we ever will be. Nothing that we do can cause him to love us anymore. Nothing that we do can cause him to love us any less. Because when God loves us, he loves us entirely. In a few weeks, I'm going to be talking a little bit about this, uh, this teaching or this doctrine of justification. This is an incredibly profound understanding, which Calvin says is a teaching that all other teachings hinge upon. It rests upon this teaching of justification. 5 and verse 1 says, we are justified by faith and we now have peace with God. We, have ju- we are justified. We are made right. Justification is not just being forgiven. Justification Some might have been taught that justification is just as if I've never sinned. Just as if I've never sinned. Justified. But it's so much more than that. It's so much more. When we say yes to God and we say yes to what he's done for us, yes, he indeed does forgive us of all of our sin. But that's just the first part. The next part is that every bit of righteousness that belongs to Christ is now reckoned to you and to me. Which means now, it's not just that the slate has been wiped clean, that's forgiveness. It's that you now have full marks. That Jesus, he did. He did everything right. It was complete. It was fulfilled now for us. That is now reckoned to us. Congratulations. As the Father now looks to the Son, he now sees you undeserved. So he has forgiven you of all sin. Yesterday, today, and tomorrow, in Jesus, it's done. But also, we are justified. We are made right. We are in right relationship with our Father because of what has done. So, you don't need to do anything more. In Romans 
10 verse 9, simply salvation is if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. This was a little bit different to what these teachers were called to correct him, to correct his theology. They were called Judaizers. And they were Jewish teachers that followed in after Paul to kind of try and correct him um, and say, well, yes, you are saved by the gospel. It is, it is, Paul's kind of true, but you still need to adhere to Jewish customs and traditions because the Jewish people, people, and circumcision is really important, and eating food a certain way is really important, and upholding certain traditions is definitely important. So you've got to add to your believing. You've got to have this works-based outworking of your salvation for your salvation to be complete. Paul says, hey, that's a load of codswallop. That's rubbish. It's rubbish. And, and, and I get it. There was a bit of a conflict of interest here because many of the Jewish teachers that were coming in, they themselves were trained and believing we are God's people and God has told us to do it this way. And so um, it's in our interest to continue to teach what we have been taught because we don't want to eradicate what what, what we're supported to do, what we're appointed to do. It was in their interest to uphold these teachings, these 613 rules that they put around the Ten, the Ten Commandments. They, they had 613 rules. And in an effort to, um, to maintain their self-righteous way of living, they were trying to convince Christians that, well, you still need to uphold these things. Now, we might think that that's foreign to us in today's day and age, but I, I'll be honest with you. I sometimes, over the years, have found myself trying salvation by doing good things to make God happy with me. I know that I'm saved. I know that I'm set apart. I know that. But why do I sometimes condemn myself or put shame upon myself when I mess up? When I say something I shouldn't say, when I do something I shouldn't do, when I think something that I shouldn't think. And in a sense, what I'm doing is I'm putting myself in the place of Jesus. When <laughs> Jesus, what right do I have to do that? Jesus has already done that for me. The beauty of the message of the cross is that it's done for us. Done. Finito. Do no more. It's already done. Just believe. And it's upon that belief, it's upon that revelation that my life shifts and changes. In fact, my, my life, behavior, my conduct, my thought process, my speech patterns, that all shifts as a fruit of the revelation. That shows that I've had the revelation. There has got to be an in working application of that revelation. Otherwise, it's just information. This is how I know that I've had a deep revelation of Jesus. And that's not even my fruit. That's a fruit of the Spirit. We're going to talk about that a little bit later in Galatians. So we're going to read from verse 11 through to verse 23. Excuse me, we'll go to verse 24, the second half of Galatians. 
I'm going to read from the ESV and we're going to stop at a few points. Are you ready? All right, let's party. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. Receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you've heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and I tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born, man, I love it. And he who called me by his grace, oh, I love that one too. Was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and I returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I visited Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it, said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once and they glorified God because of me. Oh, I love that passage. So, Paul plants some churches they err away a little bit they don't find their safety their security in the message of the cross they they're starting to move away into a gospel of works loving but firm correction it takes love to speak like this and he tries to pull them back and uh, what was happening concurrently with this is these Judaizers were not just addressing the teaching points of Paul, they were actually trying to undermine his authority. They were trying to destroy his credibility. And this is such a cheap but also common way to pull down his saying by attacking their credibility. If you have an argument with someone, a, a, a cheap way to get around that or to try to undermine an argument or a thought or idea is to discredit them. Instead of attacking or addressing or debating or conversing about an idea, you take away their credibility. This happens in the courtroom all of the time. If you can discredit a witness and their testimony, this is exactly what's happening here. And so Paul launches into a defense of not, not just... The gospel, though that he does, it's also of his own authority. He goes, hey guys, let me tell you something. I, like, I, I, you, you remember me, right? Like I, I, was, I was a terrorist. I was anti-Gentile. That's the non-Jews. I was opposed to anyone that was, but I was a terrorizer of the Christian tradition, the Christian faith. I was trying to extinguish it. And I had a personal revelation that I was wrong. Acts chapter 9 talks about Saul of Tarsus, who later became Paul. Saul gets, <laughs> falls down under this incredible revelation 
Jesus appears to him and he says, hey, why are you, why are you persecuting me? Lord, what? He came against the church, but Jesus and the church, the, the head and the body can't be distinguished one from another. So Jesus says, hey, you're attacking me. Oh my goodness. So Saul has this revelation. He's blinded. He has this healing experience. And then there's actually a period of about 14 years before he launches into his ministry. So there was a conversion and a commission that took place. Remember this anointing, but 14 years before the appointing of ministry. Where have we heard that before? There is often a time between an anointing and an appointing. So Saul became Paul. He was renamed and then he had to go through some stuff. He didn't go straight to Jerusalem. Straight away, he didn't. He went into Arabia. He had this encounter, this encounter with Jesus. And what he's saying is, I didn't anyone in Jerusalem. All the head honchos in Jerusalem. I went straight away. I had an encounter with Jesus. I'm telling you, I am not lying. I, I, I didn't talk to Peter at that time. I didn't talk to the other apostles at the time. I didn't get this gospel from them. I got it separate. And yet they were on the same page about the gospel. So Paul is saying, guys, look, I'm telling you, I got this straight from God. I didn't consult with anyone. I didn't, they didn't tell me this message, but we're saying the same thing. And I'm telling you now, we've got to get back to this gospel and not err from it. And he's so impassioned. How can someone do this incredible life repentance? He is going in one direction. To extinguish the Christian faith. And then he has a repentance of life. A changing of the mind. A 180 degree turn toward God. He eventually gives up his life for this cause. He has some revelation. And it's always important for us to remember that the strength of our revelation will determine the strength of our conviction. How strong is your conviction of who Jesus is and what he's done for you? It's yourself. Or are you relying upon the revelation of a parent or a child or a friend or a pastor or a leader? Do you know that you know that you know? Because I'm here to tell you, unless you know that you know that you know, when the trial comes, you'll be shaken. We've got to be firm and resolute. No, I know him. I know him. He's knocked me off my horse. He's the same anymore. I'm willing to die for this. If you've heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently. I tried to destroy it and I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Oh, here we go, verse 15. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me... If you take a note, you should write this down. God always plans purposefully and masterfully. Always. He has a plan. He has a plan. He is not accidental. He chose you before you chose him. 
fact, it was Augustine that says, God chooses us not because we believe. Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed you, I knew you. Scholars say that it was likely that when Paul is writing this letter, he's citing Jeremiah. Before I was in the womb, God called me. He appointed me. He had a plan for me. He knows what he's doing. Owes you in Christ for a reason. You are here today for a reason. You are on this earth for a reason. And it's not just because outside of Christ you're special. No, in Christ you have been chosen. Before the foundation of the world, he has a plan and a purpose for your life. It's not just to suck up oxygen. It's more than just to buy. It's more than just to have a family. These are good things. He's chosen you and he has a reason for it. You're here to make a difference on this rock. I was thinking about this um, in this last week. of us that have been conceived, you understand, like, you fought more than 200 million other sperm to be alive, to be conceived. Like, that's phenomenal. Before, when a mummy and a daddy love each other, some estimate 250 plus million sperm. And it takes one to conceive. You think that's an accident that you're here? That God designed you to win from the beginning. It's, it's a plan. It's, it's a blueprint for your life. It's not an accident that you're here. Perhaps you've been called an accident. Perhaps you're, oh, you're a mishap. You're a mistake. No. In the natural, some might say that, might think that, but in God's blueprint, in God's destiny, in His plan for your life, He determined for you to be here. And He has a reason for you. So rest in His plans for your life. His plans. <laughs> I was thinking this. If you want to make God laugh, talk to him about your plans. <laughs> I wonder if he's up there, the father's on the throne, having a chuckle, going, hey, how's your 2020 vision going, people? <laughs> I was looking at my Sasco planner this morning on the wall, and I'm thinking, how many times have I looked at that Sasco plan in the last few months and just laughed? Oh, man, yeah, that meeting's not going to happen. Oh, that conference probably not going to happen. Oh, man. What's I only refer to that now to know which day is coming up on that date in my office. I'm like, oh, what's the point? You know. So do we make plans? Yeah, let's do our best, but let's hold it lightly. We make our plans the best way that we can, and the Lord will ordain our steps, but we're called to just rely upon Him. This whole COVID thing is no surprise to God. God, what's going on? Son, hey, 
did you see this coming? No, I didn't, Pops. I didn't, I didn't see this. What, what's going on out here? Gabriel, Michael, did you know this COVID stuff was going to happen? God knows what's going on. To us, perhaps. Well, no, it's a right up. No. He has a plan. He has a purpose. And in the midst of this, our responsibility is to know the mind of Christ. And we've got to let the Holy Spirit show us what's... How much time have I got? I was um, been recently talking to our elders, and we're praying into out of COVID. Let's make no assumptions about this season coming up. Perhaps the COVID is a great sifter for the church globally. A great sifter. I'm seeing many people get separated. What people really what we really believe is being tested, this is a very good thing. And different churches are having different expressions and different experiences, but in the middle of it, God is still doing something. So the question we as an eldership are now praying, well, what with what's been happening, let's not assume that we go back to how things were before. Let's not make that assumption. Let's never do that. How does discipleship look? How does evangelism look? How does community look? How does worship look? How does this look? Let's not just think, I'm going to go back there because a word we got an encounter recently in prayer was, hey, we've never been this way before. The world will never be the same. And I wonder if this COVID is a blessing in disguise where it could be, in a sense, a foretaste of what's to come. And we have ears to hear of what the Spirit is saying. We've got to pay attention. Lord, what are you saying? COVID is a shaker of faith. It's a tester of faith. But can I say, we are in a bubble over here. There are people, we talked about Victoria that's, that's a big challenge. But what about other parts of the world? This is a gift. This is a gift. God uses this and says, here's a gift. Let this challenge your faith. Grow your faith. Deepen your faith. What, what does it tell us? Anything in the whole world, the most important thing is our relationship with Jesus. Nothing else is important as that. If, if there's anything we've got to fight for, we want to fight for our freedom, we want to fight for our civil liberties, we want to fight for our finances, fight for your relationship with Jesus. And if everything else caves, it's okay because I've got Jesus. I've had that revelation. And if you haven't had the revelation, let the Holy Spirit show you. If you've lost it or, or, or you feel like, you've, you're like your conviction is dampened, let the Holy Spirit show you. Let the Holy Spirit show you because only God can reveal God. Only God can reveal God. Karl Barth once said that, a great theologian. And we see it in the next verse. It says, He who called me by His grace was pleased to reveal His Son to me in order that I might preach Him among the Gentiles. God chose to Paul. It's God's election of Paul. In God's sovereignty, He chose. He foreknew Paul. And in the same way, He foreknew you. Before you were in the womb, he considered you, he knew you, and he loved you. It says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son Jesus. And then it goes on in verse 20, whom he predestined, he also called those who he 
called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. Which means he knew you before you were born and he set you up for victory. And that victory is is nothing that we have done to win. It's just by saying yes to Jesus, trusting in him. Matthew eleven twenty seven. 27, all things have been handed over to me by my Father and no one knows the Son except the Father and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. This revelation has got to come from God. So if you're struggling to know who Jesus is, I dare you, ask Him to show you. That's my, that, that's my biggest point for people. I, I, I want to believe, but I just can't. I've said, have you actually asked Him to show you? Ask God to show you? Who Jesus is? First Corinthians chapter two, verse ten, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. And can I also say it's the Holy Spirit that takes a foolish, I should say, a naturally or earthly that makes it make sense. Like Hang on, what? We're believing in a message about a guy who died on a cross to save us. Like that's, that doesn't make sense. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. First Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to go for verse 18. For the word of the cross, that's the message of the cross, that's this gospel, is folly or foolish. But to us who are being saved... We are being saved. It is the power of God. For it's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Verse 20, Paul has a crack here. He goes, hey, where is the one who's wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, but through the folly of what we preach To save those who believe. Verse 22. For Jews demand signs. Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called. That's us. To those that are called. Both Jews and Greeks. Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than of God is stronger than men. So if you want to become wise, admit that you're foolish and you need Him. And you need the Holy Spirit to show you. If you're struggling to get it, ask the Holy Spirit to show you. If you str- ask the Holy Spirit to show you. If you're struggling to know or hear or experience, ask the Holy Spirit. He's the comforter. He's the encourager. He's the instructor. He's the advocate. The paracletos. The Holy Spirit. And the role of the Holy Spirit is there to be with us to reveal Jesus to us. I'll read on. I want to fast forward now. Uh, Paul continues here to talk about his journey and where he went. 
establishing, again, he's trying to re-establish his credibility and his authority. He goes, I didn't get it from anyone else. In fact, the only, the only person I was with was, was the brother of Jesus, James. I'm not lying to you, he says. And then it says this. In verse 22, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. I love that. <laughs> you know it says to me? That says no one is beyond um, the reach. No one. There's no write-offs. No one. No one. Could be a neighbor of yours. Maybe you've written them off. A parent, a spouse, a child, a colleague, a boss, a student. Never write them off. Never. Maybe it's you. You've written yourself off. Maybe you haven't been to church or a service like this for years or maybe this is the first time ever. You never underestimate the power of His love. Never. Never. I love that God chose who was a terrorist to turn around and become a trophy of grace. Remember, Saul was opposed to Gentiles. And who, who was he commissioned to minister to? The Gentiles. Those Gentiles, those Christians. God turned him into a Christian and then ministered to the Gentiles. God can do some pretty amazing things. Turns him into And so I wonder what it would have been like when Paul is, is on his ministry expedition, on his missionary journeys, not long after this, um, and all of a sudden, hang on, what? We, we've never seen this guy. Like, we don't have Facebook or Instagram to see his photo, but we're, is this the same guy? Uh, are we being set up here? Is, is this a Kodak moment? What's going on? He's preaching. He, he, he tried to stamp on this, trying to lift this up, this message of Jesus. That Jesus is real, that he's. And because of Paul, God was glorified. So he turns Paul into a trophy. How many people have trophies at home? Anyone? Do you put them on a, on a shelf up nice and high, or do you tuck it away in the shed? So. Trophy in and of itself, in and of itself is really just a bit of plastic or metal. Or... But when you consider what it represents, accomplishment, achievement, hard work. When you consider what you have a deep sense of appreciation. So, God turns Paul into a trophy of grace. And Paul, the trophy, says, I can't take credit for this. It's not me. 
This trophy points to the one who has done it. He's, he's achieved it. I'm just here to point to the, to the work. Let's go to Ephesians. And I'll finish with this. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. By grace, you have been saved. You didn't do it. It was grace. It was goodness undeserved. By grace, you've been saved. And you've been raised up with him and seated us and sorry, and he has seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. For which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. So in this room... When God looks down, he sees trophies of grace throughout this whole room. The good news is, you did nothing. The Father now points to each of us and says, that there was accomplished by my Son. He gets the glory. It's because of Jesus and what Jesus has done that we are now trophies of grace. The great news is that there is nobody, nobody that is beyond the reach of God's grace to turn us into one of these amazing trophies. He points to you. He says, look, look at Doris, that trophy of grace. As I've loved my son, I love her. Look at Bob, that trophy of grace. Harry, that trophy of grace. Bianca, that trophy of grace. He smiles. His heart glows. Annaline, that trophy of grace. Lee, that trophy of grace. Laura, that amazing trophy of grace. Tim, that trophy of grace. They might rag on themselves. They might hold sin and shame against themselves. But is my perfect, completed sons. His work on the cross. And I love them entirely. I brag about them. Because as I love the Son, I love all my kids. No one is beyond His reach. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast from Grace Life Church. For more information about us or any of our services, please visit our website at gracelife.com.au.